welcome to Brown People White World, a podcast that focuses on mental health education for marginalised peoples. My name is Guy Thunaya and I'm a practising counsellor in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The aim of this podcast is pretty simple. It's about trying to help brown people who live in white worlds with healing themselves and looking after their own mental health. I understand that terms like marginalised, brown and people of colour are contested, but these are terms that make sense to me personally and that's why I use them. If they don't work for you, that's okay, but expect to hear them here and that might mean this podcast is not for you, which is okay too. So who am I? I'm a double diaspora kid. My family immigrated from the south of India to work in the colonial rubble plantations of Malaysia and then my parents migrated from Kuala Lumpur to Auckland, New Zealand, or Tamaki Makoto in the indigenous language. I arrived in Tamaki Makoto when I was one year old and I spent most of my formative years there and completed all of my secondary and tertiary education there before heading overseas for a while and then rooting myself in Wellington with my partner on my return. I'm a counsellor. I'm a relatively new counsellor. And prior to training as a counsellor, I worked extensively in the field of women's rights and also fields adjacent to mental health, such as youth work and health promotion. Currently, I work full-time as a counsellor, and I like to think of this podcast as being about skill sharing. I have some knowledge that I think might be helpful to other people out there in the world, um, and that knowledge shouldn't be proprietary. You, You know, you shouldn't have to pay to get it. So that's what this is all about. So why brown people, white world? I picked the name of the podcast because it's something that resonates with me personally. As a migrant in a settler society, I spent much of my early years feeling like an alien, and this definitely influenced both how I view the world and my mental health. I feel like the title Brown People White World captures the essence of this experience, as well as signalling who in particular might find this podcast useful. I recognise that not all marginalised peoples are brown, or vice versa. This title just reflects a specific experience that I hope might speak to some people. Of course anyone is free to listen and take what they can from it. Uh, Just as a general content warning, this podcast deals with issues of mental health and so might sometimes include mentions of subjects that people find distressing or triggering. There are no graphic or specific descriptions, only brief mentions of the types of situations that might be traumatic. So I thought a good beginning place for this podcast is to talk about trauma because it's it's everywhere at the moment people are talking about it a lot but I think there's a real lack of understanding around what trauma actually is so what is trauma anyway it's a word that I hear get thrown around all the time without much understanding in this case I'm talking about psychological trauma not bodily trauma although one can result in the other so for example If you are in a really bad accident and have injuries to your body, those injuries to your body may also result in psychological trauma. Most people know that trauma is about bad things happening to people, but how does it work? There are a number of official definitions, but I don't think many of them are particularly helpful because trauma is individualized. What is traumatic for one person may not necessarily be traumatic for another. And why this is depends on a lot of different factors. The easiest way I can explain it is that trauma is caused by exposure to a stressor or multiple stressors, i.e. things that cause you stress, that overwhelm an individual person's ability to manage stress or to cope. This can occur over time or in a single instant. I think this definition best captures the diversity of experiences that result in trauma. 
For example, growing up in a house where you're always in fear of a family member can eventually overwhelm your capacity to manage stress because the stress has a cumulative effect. Whereas being in a car accident can do the same thing, but that overwhelming of your ability to cope happens in a single event rather than over a long period of time. However, two people can be in the same car accident or live in the same home and are able to walk out of it without being traumatized because it doesn't overwhelm their personal ability to manage stress. And there are many, many factors that can influence our personal ability to manage stress. This is quite a simplified explanation of trauma, but I think it's really helpful and practical. So now that we know what trauma is, why does it matter? How does it affect people? How do people become, I guess the word is traumatized, but what does that actually mean? And of course the answer is that means different things for different people. People who have experienced trauma could experience one or many completely different effects. When our capacity to manage stress becomes overwhelmed, it can interrupt how our brain processes memories. And instead of becoming integrated into our past, memories of traumatic events get stuck as a part of our present. And that's how, you know, you see this in the movies a lot, people experiencing flashbacks where they re-experience events as though they're happening right now rather than what's actually going on in front of them. Another impact of trauma is that our brains can kind of become stuck in a low-level stress state. This is a consequence of traumatic events not becoming fully integrated into our pasts. Our brain is constantly on alert waiting for the next stressful or traumatic thing to happen, which results in a state of constant stress. This means that we can handle less stress overall because we are more likely to have that stress management system overwhelmed again, which means we're more likely to become traumatized again once we've already been traumatized. Most people have heard of fight or flight mode. If you haven't, it's a psychological state where your brain slash body detects a threat. It prepares you to deal with it, whether that means fighting, running away, or sometimes also freezing or passing out. Think about how a mouse goes all floppy when being played with by a cat. This is not it playing dead, but a physiological state that completely immobilizes the mouse and it's outside of its conscious control. And it happens when our hope of survival is very low and it seems like the threat of death is imminent. This response, this physiological state makes death painless. So when your brain detects a threat, it does some things like amping up or tamping down certain hormones and diverting blood supply from some areas to another. This is so we can protect ourselves from threats. When we experience trauma, our brains can stuck with the switch between relaxed and normal and fight or flight stuck a little bit in the on position, making it so much easier and quicker to transition between these states. That's why you often hear about people who've been through difficult situations having a hair trigger temper or that they can go to, you know, so-and-so can go from zero to a hundred with no space in between. Like they're either chill as or fighting someone. Little things that seem inconsequential or insignificant to us can set them off. Another impact of trauma is that sometimes when something is so bad that it overwhelms our ability to cope, our brains kind of leave our bodies. And this is called disassociation. And it's kind of like that freeze or flop response I was talking about before. It's about, you know, making the bad thing not hurt so bad. But the problem with disassociation is that it makes it even harder 
for our brains to integrate traumatic memories into our past if we weren't actually present to experience them. And often once a person starts disassociating during a traumatic event, it becomes really hard for them to manage things in their day-to-day lives without disassociating. So you may have friends who you notice are super spacey, not around all the time, and that could be, not always, some people are just spacey because they're just spacey, Um, can be because they dissociate a lot, and that disassociation could be related to having a lot of trauma in their lives. A further impact of trauma is that it can make us worse at detecting threats, which I know sounds surprising, but if you're in that constant state of low-level stress, it actually causes us to perceive threats everywhere, which drops us quickly into that fight-or-flight mode. However, when everything seems threatening and you flick over to fight-or-flight mode at the drop of the hat, it makes it almost impossible to filter out the noise. You can't distinguish the real threats from ones that are just your overactive stress system going ah, 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 all the time. Statistically, people who have PTSD are more likely to experience more trauma, which is really awful, but true. So, for example, if someone's been raped once, they're way more at risk to be raped again. Um, And same goes for people who grew up in abusive homes, they're way more likely to be in abusive relationships as adults. And there are lots of factors that contribute to this, but a faulty threat detection system related to trauma is definitely thought to play a part. Another impact of trauma is that people tend to develop an intense subconscious fear of their stress management system being overwhelmed and use strategies to physiologically bring down that stress. So, for example, extreme procrastination, substance abuse, self-harm, gambling, compulsive shopping, shoplifting are some examples of the strategies that some people might use. Uh, And we often see these coping tactics as problems in and of themselves. But more often than not, they're actually quite useful strategies um, for people who are living with traumatic stress. But due to their dubious legality and their potential to interfere with the kind of life a person wants to live, the fact that they can be quite harmful to an individual or sometimes to a community, means that they stop being helpful and become a part of the harm. And we're going to talk more about that in the next episode. But safe to say, these aren't the only ways people can manage their traumatic stress. They just they just tend to be the convenient ones, the people that fall into, the ones they don't have to learn if that makes sense. The latest research done on trauma tells us that the things that happen in childhood before we have any control over our own lives, and in particular, the things that happen to us before we have language, have the most long-lasting effects. This is because of how memories are formed. When we are able to use words, our memories are processed through language. But before we are capable of that, we don't have access to them in the same way. This makes sense when you think about it. If trauma is related to our capacity to handle stress, we have the least capacity for that in our early childhood and are at our most vulnerable. Before we have learned language, our memories are formed and processed differently. That is why we can't really access memories from, you know, that pre-language time in our lives. This means that trauma that occurs to us in early childhood can have especially frightening effects to us as adults. Triggers you don't understand related to impressions or your senses like colours, tastes and smells can cause intense feelings of fear, overwhelm and abandonment. So in summary, some of the ways in which trauma can affect individuals are the development of a hair trigger temper, 
in the experiencing of traumatic events and memories from the past as if they are still happening, the development of a faulty threat detection system, using strategies to manage stress that can actually cause harm to the person, this idea around dissociation, so not spending as much time in the present as you need to to get things done, and if trauma happened in early childhood, we can experience intense feelings without understanding their cause or being able to process them properly. There are some issues about trauma that are unique to marginalised peoples. As people of colour, we are often born into trauma. For many of us, it sometimes seems like it is our only inheritance. For those of us who are colonised peoples, we have had social structures, language, child-rearing practices, spirituality, and much, much more violently taken from us. The consequences of these traumas have echoed through the generations. They have affected the capacity of our great-grandparents, grandparents and parents to raise us effectively in safe and loving environments and the things that have been taken from us via colonisation, dislocation and marginalisation also make it harder to heal from trauma. Think about the difference between navigating the world in a place like Aotearoa, New Zealand as a cis white person versus a trans brown person. As the latter, you have many more minor and major stresses Things like deciding what toilet to use, people staring at you, feeling unsafe walking down the street, being followed in stores because people think you're going to rob them. All of these things, unsurprisingly, add to the level of stress we experience just being out in the world, which can sometimes mean that our tolerance for the stresses that are considered normal, like job stress, relationship stress, parenting stress, are diminished. This is part of the reason that marginalised peoples often make up a higher proportion of negative statistics obviously alongside all of the other structural issues that exist. If we use our definition of trauma from early in this episode, in this way we can look at trauma as being much more than an individual experience. We can look at trauma as being structural. And that means healing from our collective traumas is essential in order for us to be able to resist oppression and work towards liberation. So what does all of this mean? It might be easy to listen to all this information and feel hopeless, but I'm here to tell you that healing from trauma is possible and could be one of the single greatest acts of resistance you commit to. It's not easy and it can be painful, but it's definitely possible. And in the next few episodes, I hope to introduce people to some of the many different ways this can be achieved. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you found it. And if you think it might benefit someone in your life in some way, please do share. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the podcast, feel free to send me an email with a voice message in it, with a question or a comment, and I'll try and address it in future episodes. Thank you for your time.